What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Mythic Existence. Today, we have a fascinating episode in store for you, as we'll be talking about ring composition and chiasm in Harry Potter. This is a literary technique in which a story leads to a midpoint and then is reversed. By determining the key function of the books, we'll discover how Harry Potter serves as a form of literary alchemy that allows us to transcend pairs of opposites and have a mystical experience as we search for the divine spark inside the eye of our hearts by living vicariously through Harry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Mythic Existence. So today's information largely comes from a book called The Hogwarts Saga as Ring Composition and Ring Cycle, The Magical Structure and Transcendent Meaning of the Hogwarts Saga by John Granger. And the way that I came across this work was actually quite fortuitous. Um, I keep a journal of creative writing stuff and, you know, I like to do creative writing and I'm trying to figure out my new story, my long-term story that I want to write. And I was looking up you know, dark magic through the ages. And I was curious about Horcruxes. And I looked up, you know, the history of Horcruxes to see if J.K. Rowling, 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 Rowling. It turns out she did. And that's how I came across ring structure. And I'm going to have to introduce what ring structure and what ring composition is. But just to give you an idea about how crazy the whole thing fits into it. Basically, without getting... I want to talk about this Horcrux thing before I get too far into it. Because, like I said in the introduction, ring composition, ring structure is when a story leads to a middle point and then is reversed. And this middle point has like the whole meaning of the text. So it goes to the middle and then it reverses itself. And... Horcrux, what the word means, is crucial hour. Hor is hour, crux is crucial. Now, at the beginning of the whole Harry Potter series, in the, in the Sorcerer's Stone, it starts at midnight. That's when we're first introduced to Dumbledore standing outside of uh, the Dursley's house with Harry. And so that's, that's the hour that Harry got attacked by Voldemort. Halfway through the fourth book, we have Midnight, which is when Hagrid is showing Harry the, um, the, the dragons that he's going to be facing in his task. So right at the middle of the fourth book, we have a Midnight. At the center of the first book, we also have a Midnight. It's the Midnight Duel. Um, and there's midnights at the end of both the first and the seventh movies, if I'm not mistaken, but the whole key to the, the mystery in the books, which is another reason why they're so good is that there's this deep mystery in them. The mystery is how did Harry survive and how 
is Voldemort continuing to survive, even though he also, um, you know, had a, a killing curse rebound on himself? And the answer is, Voldemort is using Horcruxes, and Harry is a Horcrux. So, that midnight, when Harry is attacked by Voldemort, is the crucial hour, the Horcrux, when Harry becomes a Horcrux. And that that's just going to give you an idea of how crazy um, this, whole, this whole thing is. So... The Horcrux is the crucial aspect. It's the crux of the books. And when Harry is attacked by Voldemort, which is, again, reversed at the end, he kills Voldemort after uh, being done, uh, you know, being a Horcrux. Uh, you know, he, he reverses everything that's been done. And the whole, you know, structure is, is finished. So it's, the reason that it's called a ring... Uh, a ring composition is that it's a circle where it's a journey to the middle of the circle and then the end meets the beginning. Um, and I'm going to get into the, the, the circle structure has a really like deep metaphysical meaning in the story. And, you know, I think that Granger does a great idea, uh, job of showing how mystical that this structure and how the book really is, because this is the key to understanding the books, and I think it's key to understanding why the books are so popular. I'm going to read a quote from the book that really, uh, you know, defines what ring composition is, just so we get a, a good idea of it. Closure is not the only or even the principal condition for a ring. Essentially, ring composition is a double sequence of analogies. First, the sequence is laid down, then at a certain point the sequence stops and the series turns around and a new sequence works its way backward, step by step toward the beginning. This puts each member of the new series parallel to its opposite number in the first series, so the return journey reverses the order of the outgoing journey. The longer the ring uh, forms tend to the, or sorry, the longer ring forms tend to embellish the midterm with an elaborate commentary. A well-marked turning point is a sign of a well-designed ring composition. Sometimes it takes the form of a minor ring. Sometimes it is so long as to mislead the reader about its place in a larger structure. So like I was saying, it leads to a middle point and it's reversed. Now in Harry Potter, there's rings within rings. The whole series itself is a ring, but the books... Are, are rings in themselves. So the first and last chapters will mirror, the second and penultimate chapters will mirror, and so on and so forth until we get to the, the center. But there's also books that mirror each other. The second and the sixth books are the principal mirrors of, of one another. They're both about uh, books that are possessing a person uh, you know, and causing them to act in a certain way. You have the the diary of Tom Riddle and the the potion book of the Half Blood Prince. The third and the fifth book are principally about Sirius um, and his adventures. The first, fourth, and seventh books are the ones that mirror themselves. But there's also, I mean, there's there's coincidences between 
um, all the books really. I, I made a TikTok about this, but one of the you know main flaws in the books or in the movies is that they make Snape die in the boat docks, which is not in the books. And this shows that the director missed out on the reason why Snape was supposed to die in the Shrieking Shack. Because this was a play on the the Shrieking Shack revelations of Sirius in the third book. Uh, in that sequence, we think that Sirius, we think, is a murderer. But we actually find out that he was a good guy and not a murderer. In the seventh book, we think that uh, Snape is a murderer. We think that he's murdered Dumbledore, but we actually find out that he was keeping Dumbledore alive and was told to uh, that he had to kill him to gain Voldemort's trust and that he was actually a good guy all along. But that revelation takes place in the Shrieking Shack. So that's how that, that's how there's a, the reverse echo. Um they lay out four characteristics to identifying ring composition. And I'd also like to say ring composition is a literary technique that's dated back thousands of years. It's, it's how, uh, you know, at least the Old Testament, much of it was written. Um, you can go and look into Genesis and see that there's a buildup into the flood. And then there's a reverse echo from the flood. Uh, this is how a lot of the Iliad and, you know, Homer's works were written. Um, so yeah, ring structure, ring composition is, is a, a big, uh, you know, literary technique throughout history. Uh, so the four characteristics are the beginning and the end meet. There's a big turn. There's a parallel between the front and the back halves and there's rings within rings, which is a big thing for, um, Harry Potter. Like I said, there's a macro and a micro structure where, you know, the fourth book is the middle of the macro structure and like the midnight in the first book is the micro structure. Um, to give you an idea of just how the first and the seventh are mirrored against one another, um, they both start with Hagrid and Harry together on the motorcycles. The first book has Hagrid taking Harry to um, the Dursleys. The seventh has him taking them away in the scene where they all take the polyjuice potion to go to the Weasleys. They both then go to Rails in Gringotts and going into the Balt. Um, Voldemort is first and last encountered in the Dark Forest. You'll remember in the first book, he's drinking unicorn blood. And then the forest, of course, is where Harry has to go to, uh, you know, sacrifice himself. Or, or so he thinks until he learns that he could come back to life because he was actually a Horcrux in himself. And Voldemort had to kill the Horcrux in Harry, but Harry didn't die physically. We see Snape being introduced saying that he can put a stopper to death, which he actually does by, uh, you know, feeding a, a golden vial, um, a golden potion to Dumbledore. That was in the sixth book. But um, we have deaths of professors that are, are mirrored. Um, that We have forsaken stones uh, is the term that Granger used 
ironically, also his name last name is Granger, and we find out that Hermione, uh, her name is her middle name is Jean. So, so it's kind of a play on John Granger, and he seems to think that that might have been an intentional thing for Rowling to say, "You're on to the the big structure. You need to keep on going." Um, but the stones we have, the the sorcerer's stone being cast aside. And we also by full metal, and then we also have Harry deciding to get rid of the resurrection stone. We also have resurrections in themselves, um, because in the first book, there's three days after the events through the trap door, and when Harry wakes back up in the hospital wing, and there's three days, or uh, and he's of course resurrected in the King's Cross scene, which, as we'll see, is an absolutely crucial uh, moment in the story. So I want to get into about the circle and why this is like such a, an important form for the ring structure and the metaphysical meaning behind it. Really the books are used as a way to uh, transcend duality and the pairs of opposites it's a journey into the center of the circle into the center of the heart um there's an old esoteric notion that god is a sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere um and i want to read this quote that is in the book that kind of encapsulates uh the entire thing um we have the origin, cause, and beginning of the circle by definition is its center point because we know the shape as a circle because each point on, its, on it is equidistant from that center. The circle's symbolic meaning or power, consequently, and its utility in representing metaphysical truths about the beginning of things are in this unseen point. The center's only being known... Uh, and the shape it defines or causes makes it an apt signifier for the creator God whose essence is unknown and unknowable in itself, but who is recognized in his energies or activity, i.e. creation. So that's why the circle is so important, is that it's a representation of the unknown, ineffable God that we are trying to access. And that's what Harry Potter really is all about, because... When the story came along, there was a lot of backlash by Christians saying that it was, you know, very unchristian and it was witchcraft and everything. But it's actually just about the highest Christian parable that you can find, in my mind. Um, It's very, very in line with the mystical Christian uh, tradition. And every year, Harry embarks on this journey, this hero's journey to the story circle, to the the circle center. Um, and Marcel Eliade, Marseille Eliade, uh, had a really great quote that Granger includes in his book as well that I want to read about the circle being this center, this zone of absolute reality that is, uh, you know, the journey that we're traveling towards. He says... Uh, The center is preeminently the zone of the sacred, the zone of absolute reality. Similarly, all the other symbols of absolute reality, 
such as Trees of Life and Immortality, the Fountain of Youth, etc., are also situated at a center. The road leading to the center is a difficult road, and this is uh, verified at every level of reality. Difficult convolutions of a temple, pilgrimage to sacred places, danger-ridden voyages of the heroic expeditions in search of the Golden Fleece, the Golden Apples, the Herb of Life, wanderings and labyrinths, difficulties of the seeker for the road to the self, to the center of his being, and so on. The road is arduous, fraught with perils, because it is in fact a rite of the passage from the profane to the sacred, from the ephemeral and illusory to reality and eternity, from death to life, from man to the divinity. Attaining the center is equivalent to a consecration, an initiation, Yesterday's profane and illusory existence gives place to a new life, to life that is real, enduring, and effective. So that's what Harry Potter's journey is. It's a journey from the unreal to the real, from the the sacred or from the profane to the sacred, to trying to find that spiritual center. And that's why Harry Potter resonates so much with people. It's I think it's on an unconscious level, but it's because we project our image onto Harry and we go along with this ride to the the world navel, to the center. And there's actually a, a journey towards the center, to the spiritual center, to the story center in every book. And uh, they actually often play take place underground, um, which is often a symbol for the unconscious, uh, the underworld. It's the, it's the realm of the inside of the interior. So you're going into the interior to find the center. In Sorcerer's Stone, that they have to go through the trap door. Chamber of Secrets, you have to go into the Chamber of Secrets. You have to go under the Whomping Willow to get to the Shrieking Shack. He has to go through the maze that ends up taking him to a sort of underworld dreamscape. We have the Department of Mysteries in the fifth book. We have both Dumbledore's office, which is the Sanctum Sanctorum of Hogwarts, as well as the cave where the Horcrux is located. And in the seventh book, actually, most of these places are revisited and repeated. And if you had to make an argument, you know, the, the Forbidden Forest might be that place or just Hogwarts itself. So when we're experiencing this, he says we're experiencing something greater than our ego selves. Uh, He says that something inside of us is non-local, non-temporal, and non-personal. And so it's this touch of the divinity located at the center that is what we are really striving for. In Christianity, this center is called the Word or the Logos. And Samuel Taylor Coleridge said that all human knowledge is uh, the function of the Logos, searching for its, uh, its appearance in other things. He says, our knowledge is Logos, recognizing its reflection in other things. And so that's what really the, the Mirror of Erised is representing. It's a reflection of the Logos consciousness that we're striving for. Um, and he, he sums it up pretty well when he says reading Harry Potter, uh, is like the center imagination 
looking into a mirror and recognizing and experiencing the transformation of characters who are with the ring composition, allegories of the heart. So it's Harry Potter is all about like this heart consciousness that we're searching for the, the logos consciousness. Okay. Now after that circle discussion is complete, I want to turn to, uh, some of the actual, you know, coincidences, uh, the similarities inside of the books that, that he lays out. I'm not going to go into everything because there's way too much to go over, but, um, let's start with the, the fourth book being the turning point. Okay. The, the fourth book is the only books where, or well, the first, fourth and seventh, this is I'm I'm not just talking about the the fourth book here. The first, fourth, and seventh are the only books where James and Lily are brought back to life. Uh, it's the only books that we see Ollivander. There we have Dumbledore with the mirror in all four of them. Um, the first one is him in the mirror of Erised, and the fourth book he is in. Uh, Mad-Eye Moody's faux glass, which should have tipped us off to the fact that that was actually not Mad-Eye Moody. And in the, um, you know, the glass fragment from Sirius's uh, mirror, which turns out, of course, to be Aberforth, but he thinks that that's Albus. There's Midnight Middles. Uh, the, the, the middle of the seventh book is church bells that are occurring at midnight in um, you know, Harry's home, home village. They both have, or all three of them have two big adventures and then a mass scramble at the end. And the first book, the, the two big adventures are the, the supposed meeting with Malfoy, which he, they first find fluffy going to meet Norbert and then through the trap door. Uh, in the fourth book, it's the first two tasks. And then the third one, third final task, and then in the seventh book, they go to the Ministry of Magic, to Gringotts, and then to Hogwarts, uh, where everything is, you know, finalized. Um, there's even more than that. They all have um, different maze- mazes that feature a plant. There's the Devil's Snare, the Maze Hedge, and the Whomping Willow. There's broomstick flights when they're looking for the keys. In the task with the dragon and the fiend fire, uh, all of these tasks also also feature mythological creatures, Cerebrus, uh, the Sphinx, and there's a Chimera, as well as logic tests, um, and being saved by the friends. We have the chess set, the spider, and the uh, Patronus brigade. So those are all. Uh, you know, very interesting tidbits that point us off to the fact that there's, uh, you know, something going on between all all of those stories. Um, In the second and sixth books, we also have, like, this is how we know the second and the sixth mirror each other. They start with house elves. Uh, The first one is Dobby, and then we have Creature in the sixth one. There's New Professors. For, you know, introduce, we have Lockhart and Slughorn. They both take place in their scenes with Borgen and Burks that are mirrored to each other. 
Harry is late in both books uh, to getting to school. You know, in the in the second book, he can't get through, and they have to take the car. And then in the sixth book, um, he gets you know kicked by Malfoy or you know hurt by Malfoy when he's spying on him. The Weasleys have to do a visit to check on you know their son or daughter that's been like in a horrible accident. Uh, there's the room that can't be found. We have the room of requirement, which is where Malfoy is doing all his stuff and the Se- Chamber of Secrets. And there's the Phoenix song at the end of both of them where Fox saves Harry and lamenting uh, Dumbledore's death. Uh, in the third and fifth books, they both start with Harry being furious with one of the Dursleys. The third book is Aunt Marge. The fifth book is... Uh, you know, Dudley himself. There's a Dementor attack after that. Sirius fights a painting in both books. He fights the uh, the fat lady in the third book. And then in the fifth book, he gets in a fight with his uh, mom at the house. There's really hard magical lessons. He has the Patronus and Occlumency. And uh, he's they're, they're shown creatures. Hagrid shows creatures. The third book, it's um buckbeak and then the the fifth book it's thestrals um and then in the end of the third book snape is furious with harry because you know he lets sirius get out of the shrieking shack and then at the end of the fifth book harry is furious with snape because he thinks he's partially to blame for um snape uh for sirius's death okay i'm gonna go through how the start and ends are basically, you know, the, how they reflect each other. And I'm not going to go through the the whole, like, all of the coincidences because he le- he lists it out in the book and in the appendices. Every single chapter mirrors its corresponding chapter. But the first chapter, the middle chapter, and the last chapter are the ones that reflect each other. And I'll go over those. Uh, in Sorcerer's Stone, it all centers around a mirror. Um, in the in the first, you know, in the first chapter, the opening chapters, it's really the 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 glass mirror with the serpent, which, you know, it's like the end, right? We have uh, the serpent like guy Voldemort trying to get into the glass mirror to figure out how to get the Sorcerer's Stone. And the middle is where the mirror of Erised comes up. Um, in Chamber of Secrets, we have Dobby at the start saying not to go. In the middle, we have Dobby attacking Harry with the rogue bludger. And then at the end, we have Dobby being freed. Um, Azkaban is basically all about uh, dead memories uh, and me- memories of loved ones. Um I don't have that pulled up right here, but that's what that's what it's all about. the The fourth book is about Dark Lord uh, murders. Um, so the the start he basically murders the the caretaker who has been ostracized and his life has been kind of ruined by that. In the middle, we have Harry, uh, you know, voicing his concerns with Sirius in the fire, saying that. You know, he's worried that that will happen to him as well. 
And then in the end, um, you know, we have the reflection of everything that Voldemort has done in the uh, the underworld. I always think of that scene in in um, the cemetery as being like the underworld, but I guess it's really not. In Order of the Phoenix, we have Harry starting off hot and dry in Little Wingjing and ending up wet and cold, crying by the lake. Um, in, uh, in the Half-Blood Prince, it starts off with, uh, Rufus Scrimgeour talking to the, uh, the Muggle Prime Minister, and he has appearances in the middle and in the end, but then we also have Snape telling Bellatrix and Narcissa that he'll take care of Malfoy, and then at the, the uh, corresponding chapter for that at the end, we have, uh, Harry and Lupin talking about how it was foolish for Dumbledore to have trusted Snape. And then one of the best is the, how the, the middle and the end of Deathly Hallows are reflected. At the start, Voldemort humiliates the, uh, the Malfoys. He tells uh, Bellatrix to murder Remus and Tonks. Um, Snape gives him information, and then Nagini uh, commits a murder. And in the end, the Malfoys betray Voldemort. Bellatrix is killed. Snape is revealed to be, you know, a good guy. And Nagini is killed. So it's all flipped on its head. Um, And then one of the end chapters is King's Cross. And uh, Granger says that that's a really important chapter in the books. He says that this is the non-local sacred center. He calls it Logos Land. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the, the whole book is, the whole series is building up to actually Harry's occurrences there, because this is when he finally, um, you know, gets to the, the center of this whole divine principle. And I guess that that center in the seventh book is King's Cross, which also has, you know, Christian allegories it's it's like about you know calvary and and where uh the where the divine principle was really stamped home i guess you could say um he talks about how mad eye and his all-seeing eye as well as harry in the cloak are representations of the greater self being able to move throughout the world um and while Harry is going to sacrifice himself to go to King's Cross, uh, he can feel his heart pounding really hard. And there's a lot of... Uh, the attention is being drawn to his heart. So this is the heart center. Um, and he call, he says the eye of the heart is the noetic faculty. So uh, Rowling herself said the most crucial... like line of the whole entire thing is when Dumbledore says of course it is happening inside your head Harry but why on earth should that uh, mean it's not real so that kind of reflects on us because we are experiencing it inside our heads but it's very real for us so we're, we're coming to the uh, the logos consciousness in our heads and experiencing basically the, the divine principle, the divine faculty, um, 
through Harry Potter himself. So that's it for today's episode. We've seen that Harry Potter, uh, the Harry Potter books, have a micro and macro ring composition and structure. This journey to the middle is a journey inwards where we can experience the center of the divine circle and live in the Logos consciousness. Please follow Mythic Existence on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a five-star review on your podcast app. Thanks for listening. See you next time.